0: It is really remarkable to me how in the last 10 years or so, talking about your mental health has become much more mainstream. People talking about therapy and the idea of seeking out mental health has become much more accepted. Not nearly the taboo it was, and you know, not that long ago. Our producer, Sabrina boyd circa I know you've seen this as well, and we know that there aren't enough therapists. And in our digital age, that means people are going to turn to their phones and to apps and stuff like that, right?
1: Yeah, Matt, it's interesting. These mental health apps seem great because they are accessible in some cases, or at least they advertise themselves as being cheaper than going to a therapy session. But there are some flaws apparently. And this came up because I saw a post from my friend on Facebook who is a therapist, and it started with, TLDR, don't go to this one therapy app for therapy. They're a plague. So I had to follow up and ask him what that meant. And he goes on to explain how this app and a company that they had been working with behind the scenes had been creating fake profiles of real therapists who don't work for them and then pushing people to the app instead
2: They'll go to profiles that we have online and that we pay for, such as Psychology Today or Good Therapy or any of the other therapist directories, and pretty much scrape that information and then kind of put it into this profile that they've created. And then when somebody looks for a therapist, they'll go and they'll see that, up oh, this therapist didn't claim their profile with this company, but you might like to go here and see this therapist. Um, And it takes you over to one of these partnered therapy apps.
1: So there's a profile for my friend and a lot of his friends who work in this, and it doesn't direct to their private practices.
0: And that's alarming. And it it really hurts when we talk about something that used to be kind of taboo and isn't, and now people, you know, maybe are taking that first step, and they run into a situation where it's not completely on the level. And that could do damage of pushing people back into, well, I'm just not going to worry about it. And and it's not worth my time, it'll be fine. And uh, that could almost be just as damaging as where we were 10 to 15 years ago.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the fear is that this can be misleading, right? That you're getting not the care that you are you expected when you walked in, or there are also some concerns for users around privacy because these are technology companies at the end of the day who own these things. They are not subject to HIPAA regulations.
2: They do state in their privacy policy, they don't share the data that they collect over the course of your counseling sessions, but they are sharing the fact that you access them.
1: They can use your name to market to you or market to your friends later on, just like any other app.
0: And it, it, it's alarming to me to think that someone's mental health, someone's problems would be looked at through the same prism as what DVDs you buy or what movies you stream. Yeah. You know, but I would also like to believe that there are some very effective. You know, non traditional ways to seek therapy or to talk to someone. So it might be a good idea to try to get a kind of a feel overall for the marketplace.
1: Yeah. And, you know, a lot of these apps work with real therapists and they can be helpful to people who aren't comfortable having a face to face conversation right away. If this is your first introduction into mental health care, I don't want to say don't do it because, like you said, we don't want to push people away from getting help. And so, Matt, I came to you because I think we can look into this and find out, is this just one instance? Is this all of the therapy apps out there? How does someone who is seeking mental health care find the right avenue in this technological universe?
0: Well, funny you should ask because I had the chance to catch up with licensed clinical psychologist, Dr. Jamie Zuckerman. We've had her on several times on the podcast to talk about the various mental health topics and uh, kind of talk to her about What's out there, what you should look for, what you should watch out for, you know, if there are red flags, green flags. Uh, And it's an interesting conversation. We're in this odd moment where it is a good news, bad news situation. And it appears to me as a layman, good news. I don't think there's been a time, maybe in human history, that people are more open about talking about mental health, talking about if they want to seek help or the lack of shame and stigma attached to it. However, it would appear we do not have available people in place to handle that. Is that fair to say?
3: That is fair to say.
0: Yeah. I mean, how how dire is it as far as like your schedule and stuff like that and, and colleagues when it comes to how full your appointment calendar is?
3: Yeah. So it was an issue prior to the pandemic. And I think we had talked about this before that it we are going into, if not in currently a mental health crisis and we don't have the resources. As far as my myself goes, I had to hire people because I couldn't take anyone else on. My schedule was packed and that got progressively fuller. Like I said, during the pandemic, my colleagues are packed. And if somebody has an opening, it's taken very quickly. Prior to the pandemic, phone therapy, Zoom therapy was really like just, you didn't do it. It was almost like you were getting bad therapy, which we know now is clearly not the case. It's actually made people way more flexible with their scheduling and it's taken on a life of its own. And I actually am a huge fan of it. And I think it's it's sometimes people are more comfortable than in person. That's the good part of it. The flip side is that everybody wants, everybody wants therapy now because now in a way it's more accessible, but at the same time, a lot of people don't have openings. So I mean, I can tell you that I've had numerous people contact me saying, you know, if you can't see me or someone in your office can't see me, can you refer me? What ends up happening is I I have people that I'll refer to, but then they're filled and it becomes this, this cycle of just bouncing people around in a time where they really need help. And it's, it's very upsetting.
0: And we're talking about the Philadelphia suburbs of Delaware Valley. If we're having this problem here, I can only imagine what it is like in poorer areas, rural areas. Yep. You know, probably that problem is to the 10th degree.
3: Yeah, because that was, I mean, that's always been a problem. And so now it's a dire situation. It really is. Uh, I couldn't agree more.
0: So, that being said, I know there are a host of apps mental health apps that can connect you. Uh, I've even seen some apps or heard about apps that are linked like to artificial intelligence where you're kind of talking to a bot and that's a different discussion. But talking in generalities, you, your colleagues, do you have any experiences working with these? Do you have patients that have dealt with these? And overall, what do you hear? So I
3: personally have not. My colleagues that I work with pretty regularly have not been therapists in that capacity. I've absolutely had patients that have come to me that have had it. And, you know, some of them have had decent experiences, but one of the common themes that I do hear is that it feels inconsistent or it feels more like touching base talk therapy. Like you're kind of checking in with a friend almost, which it's good in the sense of you feel that you're connected to, to, I don't even want to say someone, but some sort of resource. But at the same time, in my experience of hearing other people's stories, it seems very superficial. Part of the therapeutic experience is developing a strong therapeutic rapport because they're already going in uncomfortable. If you come in comfortable and I don't have you leave a little bit more uncomfortable, I haven't done my job. So I think that this type of therapy was making people kind of feel like they vented but that's kind of where it stopped. Now, that being said, do I think that that's better than nothing? A hundred percent. I think that it's important that people feel they have a connection, especially if they feel they can't go to family and friends. They need that objective, non-judgmental outlet. And, you know, in the situation, the mental health crisis that we're in, yes, I think that that's an excellent thing to have. I think where it becomes an issue is when you are not necessarily dealing with something that's manageable by messaging right over over a phone because, again, part of it is developing a really strong therapeutic rapport. People open up when they're comfortable. And people, when they open up, when they're comfortable, they start to talk about things and connect dots that maybe they normally wouldn't have. And so I think sometimes these kinds of apps prevent that from happening. Not all the time, but but a lot.
0: Yeah. And that's the thing. I am sure, like I said, we're talking about a ton of them and it runs the spectrum from... Frankly, scams and grifts to good faith, trying their best, really go doing everything possible. What would be some things? Because I would imagine it's over if you're already dealing. If you're in, maybe if you're not even in crisis, but you're just struggling. Yeah, it's got to be overwhelming to try to find somebody in this way. What would you want people to look for if they are looking through like a marketplace of apps and trying to 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 figure something and let's put price aside for the moment. What should they look for?
3: They should look for credentials first and foremost, and not just what people say the credentials are, do your homework, do your research. You want to make sure that they are credentialed, not just in therapeutic services or mental health, but make sure they're credentialed in what your specific needs are. The problem is a lot of times people don't know what their needs are because it's the first time they're experiencing encountering mental health. So I say that for people who maybe have been through this or have the experience. And so no, they know what their needs are for people that don't know what their needs are. My biggest thing is credentials, make sure that they are credentialed. They are licensed by a, a professional licensing board, um, in the state that you're in or whoever, sometimes these apps cross state lines, which is, you know, is, a, is a, a different situation? Make sure they're credentialed. That's the biggest thing because that's really the only kind of standard that we have the, that you have to be credentialed or licensed in that state. Um, Aside from that, if you know what you're seeking and you know what you need, you want to make sure that they have experience in that. You want to read through exactly what the app offers, but also ask people who have, that's the best is the word of mouth is ask people what apps they've experienced the best help with ask other therapists, ask therapists who are in the field, what they would recommend because they're probably going to have a much better sense than somebody who let's say who hasn't been through this.
0: Are there any red flags? Any things that that you should immediately like? Okay, let's pass on this one. Anything that would jump out at you?
3: Yeah, something that is inconsistent, non-responsive. You know, I always say somebody who claims to specialize in everything, oftentimes can be a red flag. Nobody specializes in everything. You want to make sure that you know. Re- again, do your research, read reviews. Oftentimes, we know with reviews, people only put the negative stuff on there is um, check with things like the Better Business Bureau. You know, you really want to kind of dig in and do your, do your homework on this. Other red flags would be when you are engaging with a, quote, therapist, if they're asking you questions that are making you uncomfortable. And I don't mean questions that are therapeutically uncomfortable, but questions that are inappropriate that cross boundaries, that's super important too, because it should be in the very beginning, at least kind of basic information, what's going on, you know, what are your needs? What are your treatment goals? Anything beyond that, that feels kind of icky,
0: red flag, because I've heard some really alarming stories. Is there a price point that you should look for if it's involved with these apps? And I, You know, you don't know what people can afford and But are there situations that people should watch out for? And I don't know if it would be, we need X amount up front or stuff like that that you got to be careful about.
3: Yeah. I mean, it should be something where you pay per session. And I'm not sure how the majority of them do this, but the ones at least that I know you should pay per session. It shouldn't be something that you pay a lump sum all up front and then you worry about getting your sessions to fill that and that would make I think people nervous regardless but if you don't know enough about the app I wouldn't almost like put a deposit down so to speak I wouldn't I wouldn't pay up front I would pay per service I think that's the safest thing to do for sure
0: we need to take a break we will continue our conversation with Dr. Jamie Zuckerman right after this this is KYW News Radio In Depth
1: a Philadelphia dentist today was sentenced to 22 years in prison and fined $100,000.
0: This was just unbelievable. you did not understand
1: the genius in Larry. Nobody was doing coke at this point. No one could believe that this highly educated, young, handsome man was this kingpin drug dealer.
2: This is Wolves Among Us, the Larry Lavin story. A documentary podcast from C-13 Originals, the Cadence 13 studio. Listen now on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: We are back on KYW News Radio in depth, continuing our conversation with Dr. Jamie Zuckerman. A lot of these apps, one of the things I've heard is on the other side, flipping this on its head, the therapists that work with them, for some of these, they have to be on call constantly. And, you know, because you never know when people are going to need help. I mean, what should, if people that are listening to this are mental health practitioners and, and they're dealing with this? what is too much what should they be careful of
3: so for mental health providers you know if you are in that field in the therapy field you know that boundaries are number one and you have to maintain them if somebody is in crisis you refer them to you know 911 or to go to their nearest emergency room you you kind of work with them in that crisis moment until they are in a better stable mindset at the time but other than that Somebody as a therapist, again, unless it's an acute crisis, should not be on call twenty four seven as like a buddy to text. One, it breaks boundaries. Two, the therapist, if you have people doing this all the time, you're going to burn out. um, And then you won't offer beneficial therapy. You're going to be exhausted. And you're going to, you know, if you have all these patients that are messaging you constantly with no barriers in place, um, it becomes super overwhelming.
0: We're talking about being in a mental health crisis, but you kind of everybody concedes that there's not enough people to help. Is there any hope of this getting fixed? Like one of the things during the pandemic, I would talk to people that run public health programs at colleges and we would have a depressing conversation about the state. But to say the thing that gives me hope is we just had our largest freshman class or our our applications are up forty five percent because people have heard the call and want to help. Is there hope that that we're seeing that on the mental health side? And it's once again, this is something that will take years to come to fruition. But is the arrow at least pointing in that direction that people have heard the call and want to get into this field to help?
3: I I think so. I think that plus the fact that it's so it. I mean, we're still dealing with stigma. Don't get me wrong; it's better though. I will say that we have a long way to go, but it's better. And I think that because of that, more people are open to being in that space. Maybe they've gone through it themselves. They have a little bit more understanding, more empathy of others. Um, and I think that 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 is something to kind of be hopeful about. We want to make sure that the training is appropriate. You know, a lot of times we see people getting quote certificates, or we see people taking a course online, and then. You know, calling themselves a therapist, you'd be very careful with that because that, yeah, that can churn out a lot of quote therapists. But again, you have to be very, um, you have to do your research as far as training goes. So there's it's kind of a double issue. The other, the other thing that ends up happening too is, you know, we talk about insurance companies. Part of the problem too is from a from a therapist standpoint, we have to think about reimbursement rates as well. And so what ends up happening is you have clinics, right? Mental health clinics. And you have therapists who are seeing 10, 12, 14 patients a day, day in and day out. And it gets extremely overwhelming. And there is a ton of therapist burnout. I'm actually more concerned with therapist burnout than with, you know, with the amount of people coming in, let's say that that's almost the the bigger issue is that, you know, the therapist for the therapist for the therapist. Um, you know, especially frontline workers. We've seen this a lot. It, it's kind of like the people that are helping others really need help right now. And I just don't know that we have the resources for that because they're burnout. out.
0: And I think people need to understand kind of the, the lay of the land. Yeah. And I also think people need to understand they're not alone if they can't find someone. That it's oh, not, no, not, you're about. not doing anything wrong. You're this not is... doing anything wrong. Mm-mm. Yeah. Are there any other aspects or not aspects, but any other avenues you would encourage people? I, I I mean, if you've got a support system in place, lean on that and maybe try to take people you feel comfortable with and, and have those deep discussions to at least, if nothing else, get a sounding board.
3: Yeah. If nothing else, find somebody. Now, it doesn't have to be, This is this is the thing I always tell people, remember, your support network doesn't necessarily have to be the people that you're closest to. And I think people forget that you could have somebody at work, let's say, or you could have somebody that you see every day while you're walking your dog, you know, that, that you feel a level of connection to that maybe you share similar situations or similar stories or similar upbringings that maybe you feel less judged by them than people that you're closest with, right? So don't just limit yourself to your immediate support network. Um, that really opens you up to a lot of other avenues. The other thing too, and, and sometimes people aren't aware of this, There's Psychology Today, and we've talked about that before, where you go in, you put your zip code in, psychologytoday.com. Put in your zip code, put in your insurance. It'll pull up a ton of providers in your area, and you just have to call them and see who's taking new patients. Get on as many waiting lists as you possibly can. Call every single day, if you can, to see if there's been a cancellation. Because, you know, people think they're annoying by calling. They're not. Because what happens is if there's a cancellation and you happen to call, sometimes you can get in. So that's important. Also look in your area for um, universities that have training programs, master's level programs, doctoral level programs. A lot of times they will have counseling centers where the students are trained in those clinics and they're supervised by doctoral level and master's level therapists. Um, And they're usually either free or very low fee and they work on a sliding scale. So that's also something that's a huge that's been actually a really huge, huge help, at least from my ends, for referring people out.
0: And do you think when it's all said and done, if we do it right, things like apps can be incredibly valuable? Like if we get to a point where, you know, and I'm talking in a, a little bit of pie in the sky, but if we were to be able to weed out and uh, it could be an incredibly valuable tool to complement what you do? Uh, and I don't mean compliment, like you go back and forth, but to, to help alleviate some of the strain?
3: I do if they do it right, and they do it based on accurate training diagnosis. That's the other thing you want to make sure that the, that you're being diagnosed properly, which is hard to do over, you know, some of these apps. So I think it's a good alternative if you can't get in. I don't think it's I mean, I say this now, but I also said this about Zoom therapy. So, you know, this could be, just could change, but I don't think it's a perfect alternative to in person or, you know, Zoom or, or whatever you want to do. I don't think it's an alternative to that, but I think for now, I think that it's definitely effective enough. Um, and I think that as we kind of figure out where we're going with it and changes are made and it's revised and revamped and you know, maybe different kind of blueprints of how to do it or developed. I think it'll be a fine tool to use. Um, but i I think that in the meantime, if that's what you have access to, it's like I said, it's it's better than than nothing, assuming that it's you know legit and it's by people who are effectively trained.